May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. Today we get a chance to finish the conversation with Dr. Bill Dobson as we learn more about ADHD. There are so many different aspects of fibromyalgia from the pain, from the fog, from the fatigue, poor sleep. And many people, about half or sometimes even more, depending on how severe your fibromyalgia is, may also have ADHD. As Dr. Dobson shares, this is one of the most effectively treated conditions that he sees. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share some feedback from a listener, Becky. And here's what she had to say in response to last week's episode on rejection-sensitive dysphoria. I was very emotional about it all because it all resonates with me. Um, I think a lot of the pain that I feel with the fibromyalgia um, is the rejection is very, very true and very hard because... um, as someone with fibromyalgia, I I go above and beyond to be accepted, you know, rather it be with friends, with family, with, you know, my spouse, you know, and even with my past, you know, relationships, you know, um, and it always felt like nothing was ever enough, like, I was never enough. And um, being rejected is very, very painful. So that was very emotional for me. Thanks so much for sharing that, Becky. I think there's so many listening where this resonates. And hearing your story helps validate that they are not alone in going through this. Here are some clips that you can look forward to hearing more about on today's episode. Nobody that gets the whole thing at once. Despair is painful. And, you know, the fact that I've tried everything, everything I can think of, and nothing's worked, that, that, that hopelessness, that despair is painful in and of itself. And it makes everything else worse. I really lost my temper one time. And a colleague of mine who described ADHD as an optional disorder, that it was optional whether you even looked for it. And if you found it, it was optional whether you recommended treatment for it. And so I ran through the list of all the ills that go along with untreated ADHD. You can't just say, no, I don't do that. You have a moral, medical, ethical requirement that you help that patient find treatment. You can't just dump them. Welcome to the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. 
where my goal is to give real answers and real solutions to real pain, fatigue, and brain fog. Who am I and what authority do I have to give a podcast on fibromyalgia? Well, I've been a physician for over 25 years. I'm a pediatrician, an internist, which is a medical doctor for adults, as well as certified in lifestyle medicine and clinical lipidology. I hope to weave the best of medical management with the best of lifestyle and use an evidence-based approach to give information in a digestible delivery, both through the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain, as well as through this podcast. Remember that this podcast is meant for educational purposes only and should not replace an office visit with your physician or medical provider. I hope that this will be a supplement to your office visits as well as to what's covered in the book. This podcast is meant for you if you have fibromyalgia, if you have a loved one who has fibromyalgia, or if you are a physician or healthcare provider who wants to learn more about how to take excellent care of your patients with fibromyalgia. My hope is to help you as you go on the bold journey from not just surviving fibromyalgia, but reducing the suffering and even reversing fibromyalgia. You can show your support for the podcast by leaving a review and sharing with others and hitting the follow or subscribe button wherever you're listening to podcasts. And now on to this week's episode. I think what has not happened for fibromyalgia is this connection hasn't been broadcast loudly enough with the aspect of ADHD. Individually, there are aspects of it, but it's not not enough people are aware of it because rheumatologists are the ones who may be, quote, the expert in making the diagnosis or a pain management doctor who's more as expertise on doing injections in, in general, but not ever had any training on managing ADHD. Nobody that gets the whole thing at once. I didn't go to med school to have an interest in treating fibromyalgia, but I do remember, or ADHD, I remember I had my first med school lecture in 1992. It was a little luncheon thing on ADHD. I don't know if it was Dr. Barkley. I think he was in Milwaukee at the time, gave the lecture, but I at the time thought, well, this is an excuse for pe- kids who just don't want to study. I didn't have ADHD. I, I didn't understand it, but it was very enlightening. So that was my first exposure. I didn't recognize that in 1992. That was starting to be a shift probably around then of building yeah. awareness in the early 90s that this was something. And similar with fibromyalgia, I didn't go to med school. I didn't know about this. This is something similar to you in the early 2000s, hearing about it, then you start to go, hey, migraines, IBS, chronic neck pain, back pain, all of these are different. And there's a study I saw, and I put in my book that those who have severe migraines, it was in kids, were seven times more likely to have ADHD. Treating those, the ADHD in those kids, and I've had that with IBS and in patients of mine, they're, they're, um, that dysphoria, the stress is less because they're functioning better. And they can, 
they're and they don't feel their nervous system isn't hyper aroused. They're completing tasks. They're able to do those healthy. They're healthy. not in despair any longer. Despair is painful. And you know the fact that I've tried everything, everything I can think of, and nothing's worked. That 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 hopelessness, that despair, is painful in and of itself. And it makes exactly. everything else worse. The picture on the cover of my book is somebody whose shoulders are hunched over, head down. Half the tree has no leaves on it, and the clouds are it's completely yeah. cloudy. And the other half is somebody whose hands are up in the air. The tree's full. The sun's out. There's a path. And I think this is part of it. This is one of those for those who have it. I think those who have milder fibromyalgia, they don't. They may, they may, they don't, not everybody who has fibromyalgia is ADHD, but if they have it, getting it treated. Unfortunately, what's happened with some of the fibromyalgia world is there are people who fall prey towards, I call it predatory treatments that are fueling on their desperation, only yeah. supplements that don't offer a lot uh, help and may have a slight placebo effect. And then in the end, still they're in the same situation and reading through the book and trying to explain all these concepts to inform people and continuing this podcast is to help understand this kind of taking the the blindfold off to build this awareness of how all of these are connected. There's so much, so, so many interesting things. And, and I hope that those who are listening have learned and got some insight. If they've never even considered this, before today, I think this could be very enlightening and eye-opening. There's a decent chance that some people may have thought, maybe I've had that. I maybe wondered that. Maybe have heard the word because ADHD is somewhat, you know, heard, but people may have heard of it, but most adults never had a doctor do a screening or evaluation. I guess one thing I want to maybe ask, maybe to finish with is for those physicians or medical doctors who are just neutral about this, they're not, they don't have that, uh, they don't have this vitriol of antagonism towards this diagnosis, but are truly just never had the training. Can you maybe share some thoughts if speaking to them about why it's important to reconsider how they look at ADHD and, and the importance of that? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dr. Lenz. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future topics, I'd love to hear from you. You can easily text me through the link in the show notes. I look forward to hearing from you. Also, check out the starter pack. And now back to the episode. I really lost my temper one time. And a colleague of mine who described ADHD as an optional disorder, that it was optional whether you even looked for it. And if you found it, it was optional whether you recommended treatment for it. And so I ran through the list of all the ills that go along with untreated ADHD, that your risk of serious hospitalized accidents goes up 400%. Your risk of becoming substance addicted goes up 400%. 
your risk of being involved in the juvenile justice system goes up 700%, and your risk of being incarcerated goes up 900%. Your risk of getting a sexually transmitted disease goes up fivefold. Your risk of being involved in an unwed, uh, unplanned um, pregnancy goes up a thousand percent. And we and we can just go on and on and on. On top of that, ADHD is the most commonly comorbid condition known to man. Now, if you have ADHD, there's a 70% chance that you will have another major psychiatric diagnosis in addition to the ADHD. Um, ADHD is not a benign disorder. As Barclay pointed out, uh, it lowers your life expectancy by 13 years. Uh, and you take our very best, brightest, most creative people, and you stop them from having uh, a life in which they can do all that they potentially can do. It really stunts lives that could be magnificent. So this is something that must be addressed. If you're a physician who just is perpetually uncomfortable with doing anything that smacks of psychiatry, or you're scared to death of a class two medication, you can't just say, no, I don't do that. You have a moral, medical, ethical requirement that you help that patient find treatment. You can't just dump them. And that's the thing that gets me in, really gets under my skin, is people who don't want to do it, and that's fine. I don't want to do brain surgery. But it's my job to make sure that they get to somebody who can help them. Otherwise, that's abandonment. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what happens most times, is a doc who's uncomfortable who knows nothing about it and doesn't want to know anything about it, just stops and leaves the patient hanging there without giving them any assistance. I find that unforgivable. And I'm not going to do brain surgery or a hip replacement. Neither will you. That's not something you can learn. But I think these are medicines that you said, as you said, are safe and they're effective and starting low, titrating the dose working close follow-up. Hopefully, if they've listened to all of this, they've had a much better appreciation of the true effectiveness and not and, and the realistic concern about addiction and inappropriate use. But this is something that I think they can learn if they're interested. I had a doctor, and probably you had heard this in your training too, is that half of what you learn changes every seven years. And, (laughs) and he, and the point is, is you have to be learning. And part of this is, this is a mourning and a humility for a physician because they will have to have had the click go on in their thinking because, oh my gosh, I've, if they've been practicing for 30 years I've completely blown off, dismissed, and mismanaged all of these patients that I've treated who I just said, oh, they're just, oh, they're just a worry word. Oh, they're just um, whiners. On average, they've missed it three times a day. 
they missed three patients a day. And it's and it's similar to fibromyalgia. There's so much of this overlapping that they have something on that continuum. The other thing that one of my wise mentors had said is you're going to learn a lot from your patients. And and when you're a doctor in pre-med, and when he told me this, I thought that was rather silly, but this was a very wise man that I respected. So I thought about that and and pondered that in my heart (laughs) over the years. And I, as I say in, in the recognition in the book I wrote, that I just want to thank all of my patients that taught me so much. And I'm sure as you were aware, opening, looking at this, taking care of this, that's what you've had. And you start to realize this generational challenge that people had in trying to understand it. And it's it's at so many different levels that it hits you. You know, like you said, there's an emotional aspect to the pain. So it's clear that this is something that you can learn if you're interested, if you want to learn. And if Hopefully, if you're a doctor, you're a lifelong learner and that this these are people and, and they will be actually just it's such a big need. And I think is be able to stretch things. Don't close off your mind to or open your mind to this in a different way. Look at it in a different realm. And if you're listening to this as a physician, I think hearing this conversation, I think you've got a much better uh, probably longer discussion than you've probably had all of your medical family practice, internal medicine <laughs> residency in this conversation, listening to this series. It's been a big pleasure. Do you? I know you've written some books. I'll have to say, I, I haven't looked at which books you've written, but I've read a lot in this area and research and stuff. Are there any books that might be helpful for any generation, meaning uh, whether kids, adults, that they might be a good resource, both one, if you're a patient who's looking at this, and also if you're a doctor who wants to learn. I think a lot of the stuff that's meant for patients is great for physicians trying to learn about it, but anything that... Well, first is a caveat, and that is beware what you find on the internet. Uh, Russ Barkley made some poor graduate student go online and evaluate the postings at the two largest um, uh, websites on ADHD. I think Reddit was one of them for two months. And what they found was that 93% of the postings were wrong, not just out of date or misunderstood. They were completely wrong. So be very careful what you what you uh, believe on the internet. There are a couple of very good vetted research um, websites. The two that I recommend uh, are the Attitude website, A-D-D-I-T-U-D, mag, M-A-G, dot com. They've been around for 25 years, and they post everything they've ever written for free on their website. And they have articles, and they have webinars like we're doing now, and things like that, and it's all free. And they just went through last summer reviewing every article and updating it to make sure that it's up to date and scientifically accurate. It's a huge project. The other one is what I also mentioned, How to ADHD by Jessica McCabe. She's an absolutely delightful young woman, and she certainly knows her audience and that her videos are only about five minutes long. (laughs) 
Uh, they're fast, perky. They are incredibly well researched to make sure the information is accurate. Uh, you can just find that on YouTube. She has a channel on YouTube. Um, it's those are the two you can really count on as being accurate, helpful, and they really get it. It's not some high-flown statistical analysis. It's what is life really like for somebody with ADHD? So that'd be the first place I'd recommend that a person with ADHD go. Physicians don't have a place to go. That's, that's the book. As soon as you and I finish, I'm going to go try and put the finishing touches on a book that I'm writing for physicians about how to choose a medication fine-tune it, handle side effects, that sort of thing. All the stuff that I had to learn on my own or have my patients teach me. So the working title there is uh, What You Wish Your Physician Knew About ADHD. <laughs> I think I'll have to change that. It's, it's, it's for the well-educated parent or adult and their physician to work together to get the best outcome. Yeah. Yeah, I think so it'll be available by summer. Oh, that's awesome. We'll have to uh, maybe do another uh, discussion when that comes out to get that promoted because there's the more ways you can get information out there. I is, is even in your book, and I don't know how long it is. I know the editor for my book said try to keep it between 200 and 300 for a lay book, book for lay as far as a textbook and, and reachable. This podcast that we're doing here is one interview, but I break it up one. I have limited time. So if I can do one interview and, and make this into uh, multiple episodes, but also I recognize that the person who may have untreated ADHD listening to a two hour and 20 minute conversation would be isn't going, to happen. isn't going to happen. So <laughs> I try to keep it somewhere between 15 to 25 minutes to break that into chunks. And if you're on a long trip or, or, or if you're going for a walk, if you're, if you're uh, on a bike ride, when you're treating uh, your fibromyalgia related issues, this hopefully will resonate and percolate and help edify you. Most adults with ADHD don't read. They just don't ever read. And so whatever you do, has to be in another multimedia format. They can listen to CDs in the cars they're driving to work, or they can watch something like this, but they don't read. Yeah, so, and, and, and it's it's they they uh, also miss kind of with that reading is when I'm taking that history. One of the questions I'll ask to try to gauge things with ADHD for especially an adult patient is how do you learn best? And sort of stereotypically, there's the experiential hands-on learning and there's in the lecture taking notes, reading the textbook. And most adults who have ADHD, when I ask that, say, oh, much more experiential hands-on, get me involved if I have to sit in lecture, take notes. And it's incredible when you have college students who have this and you treat it and like, wow, I'm not just being a transcriber of all the notes. I'm actually learning while I'm taking this. I'm not just transcribing everything, but it's interesting, like you say, hearing in an auditory. And then hopefully a lot of these things that we're talking about, are, a lot of these themes are re being repeated. ADHD is real. Fibromyalgia is real. There's a lot of overlap with these. And there's real hope that you can improve from despair. Yeah. We've, we've got good treatments. There, yes. there are really good treatments. If, if you know somebody who can get you there, 
Well, it was a great pleasure on this late Sunday morning here to have this conversation <laughs> a week before Christmas. We'll be out in the new year here, but what a pleasure to have you. And thank you so much. My pleasure. For many of you who've now gotten a chance to listen to the six-part series, I hope you've learned a lot more, got more insight into understanding fibromyalgia and possibly for you coexisting ADHD. This may hit you in many different ways. It's one thing to get diagnosed with fibromyalgia, and often there's years to finally get diagnosed. And now... For many, the same story occurs with ADHD. Often it's years before diagnosis. And in both problems, there is a lot of despair. There is a lot of hopelessness. I hope that just hearing about this, listening, talking, learning more, asking questions, doing more research will help you become more educated And if you're more educated, more informed, and over time, I hope that you are able to just improve. Treating fibromyalgia isn't one magic bullet. It's a number of complicated, interconnected problems that when things are going well, usually all of these things are going well. And when things aren't going well, often multiple things are going wrong. And it's a challenge, but for me, it's such a rewarding problem to help people with. Taking somebody from despair and hopelessness to functioning better. And like I said, the goal is to help take you from not just surviving, but to actually living well and even reversing fibromyalgia. If you can, hit the subscribe, like, share, leave a five-star rating, share this with others. And until next week, go Team Fibro.